0: Amen. Uh, you can be seated. Thanks for being here. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Outward Church. And uh, we're just here in the, in the throes of, of summer. And, and, uh, and we are uh, just about through this. And uh, some incredible heat over the last few days, uh, which I actually enjoy. Um, but uh, we're, we're excited about that. Um, just in the next uh, few days here, uh, August 29th through September 2nd, We have a soccer camp, and this is not just a soccer camp or some type of club for our church. Our church really believes this, that we want to love Jesus and live outward. And what that means is that we don't just do things for us, we do things for our community. And one of those things that that we are doing and that we're trying to do is a soccer camp over at Richmond Elementary. And let me tell you how this works. We go into the neighborhood... And there are multiple, multiple apartment complexes, low-income areas um, uh, over there. Not all of those areas are over by Richmond Elementary. But, um, but many apartment complexes and, and things of that nature, uh, which have um, a lot of low-income people in them. And th- they don't have a ton to do uh, during the summer. Uh, you know, my kids uh, get to go to the pool and uh, they, get to, they get to have fun. They get, get to go to Grammy and Papa's house and get to go to my mom's house down the street, and there's lots of family stuff, lots of stuff going on, but these kids uh, oftentimes do not have those privileges. They do not have those things, and most of all, they're not hearing about Jesus uh, many times, and so we have put on a, uh, what, what was called a sports camp at that time, And but obviously the, big, the biggest thing that was the, the winner at that camp was soccer, and so we're, we're just doing soccer this year, and so, what we need is we need about 20 volunteers. And this is from August 29th through September 2nd. You don't have to volunteer every single day, you could just volunteer one day, or you could volunteer multiple days. Uh, child care is provided for kids under four, other kids can attend the camp. We need about 20 people for various roles, including setup and tear down. Uh, security, coaching, registration, childcare, care, uh, et cetera. Um, we need people this next Sunday right after the service to go pass out flyers in the community around Richmond. This is not the type of community that you could send out a blast email, uh, send out phone calls, things like that. And part of the reason why we're doing this so close to the event is because many of these uh, homes are, are transient. Uh, by, by that I mean they're they're there for a short time, they get evicted, They're they're in and they're out. And so, uh, you know, over the years, we've done uh, Thanksgiving dinners to these families and things like that. And so we'll contact them on one week and say, hey, we're, gonna, we're coming. We're going to bring you Thanksgiving dinner. We'll show up, and they're gone. Uh, they're out of that house. That's happened multiple, multiple times. So we do this close to the event. They don't often plan ahead very well, and, and so, uh, which is okay. And, and so we go. We knock on doors. We invite their kids. And it's a, it's a great time. Uh, I want to encourage you to get involved. We need 20 more people. I think we have about 20 volunteers already. Um, it would help us fill out uh, the rest of this. And it would be a tangible way to you uh, for you to be able to say that I love Jesus and I want to live outward. I don't just want to uh, be a uh, bench warmer, as it were. So uh, that's what's going on there. We're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3. And... Um, and uh, getting ready to wrap up the book here, uh, but we've been we've been talking through Habakkuk as I've said in the past. Like Habakkuk is not a book that people often read or refer to uh, very often, unless you're Martin Luther, many 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 years ago. Um, but Habakkuk is a very difficult book of the Bible, and it's difficult because it's really talking about God's sovereignty over life's events and over. And God's uh, ability to use uh, this uh, really ungodly nation, the Chaldeans or Babylon, to punish his own people. His own people, Judah, who's part of Israel, and how they have been uh, sinning incredibly. And Habakkuk looks at this and he says, God, why do you make me see this? Why do you put up with this? Why don't you judge your people? And God says, oh yes, I'm going to judge them, and I'm going to use the Chaldeans to do this, which is a horrific thing for uh, Habakkuk to hear that his own people and even himself uh, is going to be, um, is going to be um, routed by these people. And so he's in a very tough position. But really what it helps us deal with is it helps us deal with life as it comes. We've talked a lot about uh, what your uh, Christianity is built on and and w- uh, what it looks like because these things are are foundational. Right now, I'm in the middle of I've been calling it a remodel. I'm going to start calling it a renovation because that sounds more along those lines. I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, the movie Money Pit, um, but um, <laughs> this is what my renovation, my remodel, slight remodel, is turning into. Uh, my wife came home after uh, our kids were at their their grandparents' house. Or, our our two girls. Uh, Reagan and Finley were at um, grandma and grandpa's house uh, uh, for the last couple of days. And uh, Reagan, our oldest daughter, she has really loved our house. Because our house, is, it's got some, some character, it's got some uniqueness to it. It's very old and um, from 1910 and so forth. But we knew that we needed to remodel it. Um, what we didn't know was how much we were going to have to remodel it. And so uh, over this week, uh, we tore everything out on the main level. So like walls are gone, ceilings gone. It just looks like a bomb went off in the middle of our house, and it, it's an absolute mess. And so Reagan uh, comes in, in the driveway with my wife uh, driving, and she says, oh, my goodness, she's just wrecked because she said our house was so pretty, and now it just looks like a dump. And so the, the house is... Uh, is not ready for company right now, and so um, we won't invite you over at this moment unless you want to come help us, but uh, in, in any case, the house is absolutely torn apart. But one of the biggest problems with the house is this, is that like there, there were sections of the house, like there was this sun porch on the house that was virtually unusable, was taking up square footage. And so I decided that I was just going to take out all of these windows um, because it really had no walls it was sitting on. It was, the house was just sitting on windows here, and that wasn't good. And so I decided to take out the windows. And I was going to put in a new wall. But we tore out the wall and the, the windows there and looked at the, uh, the floor and just realized this entire thing has to go. And so we start ripping and tearing and ripping and tearing, and finally have to get all the way down to the top of the foundation, all the way down to the top of that. And then there's another area where we we had to do that on, on the other end of the house. Where it, it's different than any other part of the house, I don't know what happened there, but somebody was was drunk or um, you know seriously uh, had some issues, and and they built this thing, and again had to go all the way down to the foundation. And then uh, we have this little we had this little breakfast nook that was kind of weird and whatnot. It used to be a, a porch, and so I tear that apart, and I'm I'm looking at that, and I and I go, uh, <clears throat> what am I seeing here? Uh, because the floor used to be sloped, and then somebody decided they Wanted to put in tile. And so instead of actually leveling the floor, they just put roofing down. They just put roofing shingles down. Like, I mean, you're like, when you look at a roof, that stuff on the floor, eight layers of it that went from eight layers down to nothing. And, and I mean, he sure enough fixed the uh, unleveled floor. And, uh, man, that was a unique, unique uh, and very creative way to do that. And so so then I decided that I wanted to rip that out, but I didn't want to spend hours doing it. So I did the the only thing that a man should do, and that is I hooked the chain to it and uh, and then hooked it up to my one-ton truck. And uh, me and my father-in-law, well, let's just let her rip, you know. And so... I, I just, you know, I get going a little bit. My father like, yeah, just go, just go. And just rip the thing off there and rip the foundation off as well. Break the foundation. Our lives are so much like this. And God is the one who brings in difficulty into our life and he allows us to be torn down to the foundation. And some of us... And really all of us on some level or another have houses that are built on faulty foundations, that are built on things that are not going to hold us up eternally. We don't have real faith. We have this idea that we believe in this God, but we don't really have this faith that is hoping in God no matter what takes place. Because that's really what Habakkuk is talking about here. Habakkuk is talking about what real faith is. Real faith is this, when you, when you understand and you realize how incredible and how powerful God is and how he uses his power, even beyond what you and I would say, all right, that, that seems like a legitimate use of power, even beyond that, when real faith steps in when we say, even though you do those things, I trust in you, I hope in you, and I worship. And this is what this guy Habakkuk does, is that in the end, he comes to this place where he says, okay... I'm just going to worship you. He's asked his questions of God. I mean, he brought real questions to God. God, how could you do this? How could you make this happen? How could you allow this to take place? And God says, I'm going to tear this thing down so that I can build it up from the foundation. I'm going to tear this thing down so that I can build on something true and legitimate here. And he says... The righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. And what this means is this, is that those who go through this, and those who go through this difficulty and those people who make it on the other side of this and still hoping in God, those are the true believers. Those are the people who really know God. And that's just a question for you. Do you really know God? I know uh, Corbin is starting up again. I see uh, some more young faces in here and I'm glad that you're here, but I I have a question for you. Do you really believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you really have hope in God? Or has this been something that your parents have always led you to believe? And you're comfortable around people who are Christians, and you're comfortable in those environments. But really what's going on is that there isn't real faith there sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes there just isn't real faith because it's never been tested. And here's the thing, you're like a faulty house. There's so many aspects of your life that are falling apart, and you know when we know? You know when we know that's taking place? It's when sin begins coming out of different areas of you, and you say, I don't know where this is coming from. You know where it's coming from? A lack of faith in the true and the living God, as the one who can, can help you, as the one who is your only savior, as the one who is the one that you can hope in, and God, in his great goodness, God in his mercy will allow his wrath to rest on your life and to tear you down To you say, okay, fine, okay, fine, let's tear it out, let's tear it out. So that's what Habakkuk has been through, and what he's, what he's come down to is that he's, he's come to this place where he says, I, I have this deep res- and abiding respect for God. I have this deep and abiding respect for him I see that he's going to use the Chaldeans to judge uh, his people, but I also see that he is going to judge the Chaldeans. And so he says, again, at at the end of chapter 2, in verse 20, he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's this this aspect of absolute reverence uh, for God. And he he just kind of comes to this place where he's just like, amazed at what God is going to do. And and, and really, that's what the Lord told him in the very beginning, where God said to him in chapter 1, verse 5, he said, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. You would not believe it. If I told you what I was going to do, if I told you what it was going to be like, if I told you how I'm working in this world, you would not believe it if I told you this. So he comes to the end of that, and there's just this awe and reverence about him. Do you have awe and reverence for God? Or is there an aspect of your faith that says, the God that I believe in would never, the God that I believe in doesn't, the God, the, the religion that I'm a part of doesn't believe. Is, is, is that where you're at? Or, or, or are you at this place where Habakkuk is where he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I can't utter a word to this God. I can't utter a word in his presence and act like I know what's up. As if I know what, what, what's actually going on. As if I'm the creator. And so Habakkuk has this sense, and he begins to worship. And so he begins, where we left off this last week in verse 2, or what we preached on last week, where it says, chapter 3, verse 1, I should say, uh, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiggy enough. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy." And remember what we said about this. This is Habakkuk, and he wants to see God's will be done on this earth. He wants God's will, whatever happens, to be done. And not only does he want to see God's work done in this world, but he wants people to know it. He wants people to be able to see and and say, that could only be the living and true God because of what he's done. He wants to see it. He wants to know it. He wants people to know it. Do you want to see God work in the way that he's done in the past? Do you even know what he's done in the past? Do you want to see him revive it? Do you want to see him work in such a way that people see it? These are people that have faith. And say, I want to see God work like this. I want to see him in my life. I was just thinking before the service, I mean, like, we, we walk around and we're, and, and we're hoping... For God to do something amazing. And sometimes we we just want this experience. And maybe it's just this experience at church. Or maybe it's some experience that you had at a camp. Or maybe it's some experience that you had at your conversion. Or maybe it's some experience. You just want an experience. Or maybe you don't know God and you're like, God, I just want you to show up in some way and I just want to experience you. And that's a great prayer to have. But here's the thing. Do you realize that God's work in reviving it, that God's work in bringing about incredible things could include devastation. It could include loss. It could include things that God could stop but chooses not to. Let me just remove the word could. If you're going to walk with God, if you're going to walk with Jesus... If you're going to have a relationship with him, if you want to grow, it's the only way it happens. You okay with loss? Some of you have walked through it. I've been brought to tears many times through this this sermon series. Some of you have walked through it. I know the loss that you've been through, some of you. I know what you've been through. And the faith that comes out, is, is, it's astounding to me. Because I've never lost the way that you've lost. That I can remember. But this is how people grow. And if you want to grow, then you're going to need to submit to God and say, I'm willing to take whatever you have. I'm willing to deal with whatever you have for me. In this. Habakkuk says this. This is poetry. It's a, it's a song. It's, it's praise. I want you to remember this. God came from Timan, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. If you look right there in the middle, he says Salah, right after, uh, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And what he's saying is this. Is that we don't really know what that word silah means or sila means, but what it it's it is it is in the Psalms very often, and it's essentially saying praise. It's it's some type of praise, it's some type of worship, it's some type of way of saying, yes. Yes, and so he's talking about how God came. He's reminded of the past when God gave the law and he led the people of Israel through the wilderness. And he's reminded of of when the people were ushered out of Egypt when they were in slavery. And he's reminded of what God has done and how they went through these areas uh, near Taman and this other place, Paran. And he's reminded of this and he's saying when God came and when he visited, when he when He worked in this mighty way, he came in this way and that's where he came. And he says his splendor, his splendor uh, covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And so here he is, he's just... He's praising God and he's saying, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Revive it in our time. Bring it about in our day. We want to see you visit us. you a Christian person who's, who's wanting God to visit God in our time, in our place, in our city, in my life, in my family, in my marriage. I want to see you work. I want to see you come. I want to see you be a part of this. He's praising God for what he's done in these days. The foundation of your faith is faulty. If you cannot look at God and say, God, I see what you've done, and I want you to do it in our day. I want you to do it in our day. Verse 4, His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. And we don't know exactly what he's referring to, but he's referring to this view, this vision, this 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 sight that he has seen, that he's read about, or, or whatever it was. And he's seeing God, and he's understanding him. This It seems like it comes from Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. I won't read that for you right now. But it talks about... Uh, It talks about this bright and shining appearance, Uh, his waist I saw, as it were, gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around, he says in Ezekiel. Habakkuk is saying, I want to see God work in my day like that. Christian people are people who believe in the supernatural. They believe in God. And to see God would be like absolutely amazing. To see Him, to really see Him, would be this bright and shining light. And he's talking about the majesty and the power and the glory and the splendor of God. Do you have a view of this in your life of God's greatness and God's goodness and His power? Because if you don't, The foundation of your house is faulty and everything needs to be rebuilt and you need to be, you need to go through the fire. Verse five says this, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He's talking about nature. God uses the forces of nature for his own purposes. God uses pestilence these great uh, plagues of, of what, whatever they are, insects, to attack people groups, to judge people. God's judgment in those areas was, he did that through pestilence many times. He did that through plague. The angel of the Lord coming by to kill the firstborn of every family that did not have the blood of the lamb on the doorposts in Egypt. God used these things. And what, why would we sit here and say, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels? Because here's the thing, that's who God really is. And to say, like, I know that God is love and he would never do anything like this, then what you don't understand is that God's love is also seen in his judgment and in his wrath of sinful people. God is good and God is loving because he's just. God's justice is seen in how he has used those things. But you know what it also means is this, is that our God commands the insects. Our God can send an army to destroy. Our God uses plague as soldiers. Our God... Is this a point to say, okay, all right, God, I'm, you know, I I don't really know that, that I like that. Or is this a point to say, what an awful doctrine. But nevertheless, he is worthy of praise because he is that powerful. Can you worship God in the midst of disaster, knowing that he could have stopped it or that he may be using it for his own glory. Can you worship that God? Can you worship that God? Because Habakkuk is worshiping him. Verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the foundations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. What's he talking about? He's talking about facts, not a fax machine, facts. I can't say the word facts very well. My X's and my T's mixed up. He's he's saying, these are things that I know about God. These are real things that I know about Him. That, That He is so powerful he is so massive. He is so huge that he stands and he measures the earth. Can you imagine the size of tape measure that that would take? I can't even, I can't even imagine it. He can measure the earth. He stands and he measures the earth. He looks and he shakes the nations. He can, he can look and he just shakes whatever he wants. The eternal mountains were scattered. I mean, just on and on it goes. The presence of God, His power in control of everything over the earth. He's fully and finally and completely in control. There's a horrific doctrine called open theism that says that God knows all of the possibilities, but He doesn't know exactly what's going to take place. That's absurd. It's ridiculous. And that is not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that God knows exactly what's going to take place. That God knows exactly how it's going to happen. That God is absolutely and finally and completely in control because he wants to be and he is. Verse 7. I saw the tents of Cushan in, in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. He's talking about people groups, and these people groups are, in a sense, these, uh, these people who are on the side of the road as, as this God passes by. We don't know what he's referring to, but what he's saying is that these entire nations, people groups, see the presence of God, or they see him go by, and they are in affliction by simply even being near him. They are people who are trembling because of his presence. Verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? He's going to answer this question in a minute. He's going to talk about what God did do. What he's referring to here is he's saying, he's saying this, God, were you angry at these rivers at the sea. Why did you do this? When you rode on your, your chariot of salvation, what was your purpose behind it? And it's kind of this, so, this, uh, this phrase in this song that he's going to answer in just a moment. Verse 9, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. God is able to command rocks to say, let water come out of those. God can do whatever he wants with nature. God can allow whatever he wants to take place. Verse 10, the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on, the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its, its hands on high. The earth trembles itself at the presence of God. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stand or stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. This is referring uh, to Joshua chapter 10, verse 12 through 13, where it says this, at the time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ahijalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their en- enemies. What's he, what's he saying? He's saying that this took place and God used nature to rout the enemies of Israel. God is absolutely and completely in control. He's worthy of worship because He is those things. Verse 12, you marched through the earth in fury, you threshed the nations in anger. Notice He's gone from nature and now He's moving towards God's enemies, towards the opponents of Israel. The opponents of God. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people. people For the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. Laying him bare from thigh to neck. Salah. He's, he's talking about how God went before them. And how he uh, parts the waters. He's going to say more about this in verse 15. But he's saying, God, you went And you did this, and you uh, crushed the head of the house of the wicked. You laid him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. What's it saying? The, the people who are powerful think that they have power and that they can overtake God's people, but God is going to take their own strength and use it against them. The reality is that the more power you have, the more uh, ability you have to be overtaken by your own power. When you look at what's going on in our world, the enemies of God, the people that would go after God's people, God will eventually use their own power to overtake them. God is the one who's able to do that. God is the one who is able to do those things. And we can sit and we can try to ponder who's going to be the better uh, presidential candidate. Who's going to be the one that's that's going to uh, allow Christian people to do what Christian people do. Who's going to be the one who's going to give us better health care? Who's going to be the one who's going to take care of our enemies? The answer is none of them. God is the one who's going to take care of his people. God is the one, no matter who is elected, to ultimately and finally right all of the wrongs. He says in verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. God's the one that parted the Red Sea. God's the one who allowed the people of Israel to go through the sea and then he closed it in on their enemies. The surging of many waters. God used those things. Now, get down to this last thing. Verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Does this sound like a good, a good song to you? Should we sing this on Sunday? I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Just stop for a second and just say, What God are you serving? Is it the God of the Bible or is it a different God? Because there are passages in Scripture that if if you were to read them should evoke this response of worship and praise in the midst of great horror. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble. What God do you serve? Are you serving the true and living God? Or are you serving a God of your own making? Are you serving a God... That you have made up in your mind and that you think exists but doesn't really because he's he's just nice never would hurt anybody and never uses things of this nature but this guy Habakkuk says he is worthy of praise because of it where is your faith rooted where is your faith rooted he says yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And just stop right now and just think about this. Could you come to a place, we leave that verse up there for a second. Could you come to a place where you say, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the horror of what's taking place in the midst of all of these things in the midst of the loss of a child in the midst of the loss of a marriage in the midst of perhaps never being married in the midst of the loss of a business and that we could go on and we could go on and we could go on could you stand and could you say I will quietly wait for the day of the Lord to come upon the people who invade us. Because that's where you're at, folks. That's where you're at. Many of us don't wait quietly, do we? We want to go after our enemies. We want to scream at someone. We want to yell at them. We want them to come to justice. And I and I believe justice is a God-given good thing. But in the midst of insurmountable odds, this guy was willing to quietly wait for the day of the Lord to come to them. Can you wait for that? Can you wait for the day of the Lord to come? The book of first Peter talks about this idea. When Peter wrote uh, this, the people that he was speaking to were dealing with a lot of persecution. And so he's reminding them of, of their hope in the gospel. He's reminding them of, of their future hope. And he says to them in 1 Peter chapter 6, he says, "...in this you rejoice in your salvation." Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than, uh, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now let me stop right there for a second. Peter says this, he says, I know that you're hoping for salvation. But the way to put your suffering in context is this, is that these have happened so that, your, so, that, so that your faith, which is more valuable than gold, way more valuable than gold, these things have happened so that at the end of the day, like your faith can be seen for what it is. And then at the end of the day, what's going to take place is praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So like, when Jesus comes, when the day of the Lord comes upon our enemies, when the enemies of the Lord are wiped out, when that day comes, the question is this, is have you made it through your suffering? Have you made it through the difficulty in your life in such a way that when Jesus comes, there's just going to be this eruption because you've been waiting and anticipating. You've been waiting quietly for the day of the Lord to come upon your enemies. You've been waiting for God to come. You've been waiting for him to come. And here Jesus comes and praise and glory and honor are erupting. And you're just saying, yes! In our time, in our day, make it known. Lord, let him see you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Is that going to be you? Or is it just going to be, oh, Jesus is here. Well, I guess I better pack some things. Baby, have you seen my toiletries bag? I just, I just don't know where it is. You know, I mean, I just, what, what suitcase should I take? I mean, I, I mean, should I take a carry-on or should I, uh, should I you know, send it in uh, whatever? Are, are you going to, is it going to result in praise, glory, and honor for Jesus Christ and his arrival? Or are you just a casual Christian who doesn't really have much faith yet? You haven't really taken note, you've accused God of wrong, you've never come to a place of really having a foundational faith in Jesus Christ. Is your house falling apart? Does it need to be rebuilt? I can tell you, because I know this about myself, there are parts of my house, my literal house and my spiritual house that need Rebuilding. And God will use whatever means he sees fit to use. To judge me and then also to bring me in and through his wrath to mercy. Now, Jesus Christ went to the cross to enable that. Jesus Christ went to the cross in order to absorb all of the wrath that was intended for me. But God still uses his judgment in my life to correct me. Because he's a good and gracious God. He doesn't allow me to sit in my sin. He doesn't allow me to be this broken down Christian with walls that will not stand. He doesn't allow me to be in that place. He allows me to be torn down, even by my enemies, so that he can be the one who rebuilds me. And my great hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because the resurrection is then available to me. It says in Revelation 21, uh, chapter 1, it says, this is a, a, a revelation of the future that says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And it's like me looking at my, my house. It's a disaster. My wife had to talk my daughter down last night and say, but listen, you've got to see what's going to happen here. Like, I know you've been living in a tiny bedroom with your uh, three brothers and sisters, and you know how you guys fight all the time, and all of that stuff takes place. You're going to have your own space, and there's going to be a bedroom, and there's, and there's going to be this, and we're going to have space to have people over, and to have community group, and our, and our house won't be falling apart anymore. And there's going to be great things. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then Reagan sees the picture and she says, "Okay, what kind of furniture is going to be in there? Do I get a new dresser? Can I have a corkboard on the wall?" This is what Christians do. They say, "I want to see that new heaven and I want to see that new earth." Because this place is a dump. This place is a dump when I really look down at the foundation and I see how my world is built on sex and it's built on escapism through addiction and it's built on money and it's built on power. And I say, that's a faulty foundation. It'll never last. I see a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first to earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Yes, God. Yes, God. In our place, in our time, come and do that here. Come and be with us. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you just want a little bit of God? you just want a little bit of foundational rebuilding? Are you content with just Sunday Christianity, are you content to just live your life halfway? Are you content to have a faith that means little to nothing in your life? Are you somebody who's patiently waiting for the day of the Lord to come upon your enemies where he'll wipe away every tear and he will right every wrong and he will make all things new? It only happens because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He has proven it with his resurrection. And we glory in it. Both past, present, and future. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is true. If you do not know that, and all you want is for life to be okay right now, think again. Because God in his grace may rock your house down to the foundation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all of us need our foundations rocked to the core. You are the chief cornerstone. Many of us do not have our lives built upon you. Lord, may the gospel become the chief cornerstone. You, your person, uh, be the thing that we've built our lives on. And God, may we erupt in worship, not just in song, but Lord, in daily life as we worship you with how we spend our money, how we use sex, how we use medication, Lord, how we use uh, the people around us and how we are used for the people around us. God, may your glory emanate from this place. Lord, may, may there be a brightness about your people. May we come into the workplace tomorrow. And Lord, may our co-workers and people see that we have been with Jesus because our hope is no longer in our circumstances, that our hope would not be built on anything less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Lord, may you be our only hope. May there be a brightness that shines from us because we've been with you the way that Moses was with you. Lord, may we shine in our world like stars in this crooked and perverse generation of which we are a part of. And Lord, may we be salt and light to the people around us, and may we be people who believe that it matters how we act, that we believe that it matters how we live, that it matters who we sleep with, that it matters who we love, that it matters what we take into our bodies, that it matters how we use food, that it matters... Because you're God, and you're holy, and you're great. Lord, work in our lives, do amazing things in our day, in our time. Would you revive it? Would you make it known that you are God and that nobody else is, that everything else is a false God, and we serve you. In your name we pray, amen.